Hello, you're listening to Sarah McCoy, and this is Session 3 of This Means War, a new weekly podcast series on biblical battles that symbolize contemporary struggles. I've been a Bible teacher at Owasso First Assembly in Owasso, Oklahoma for over 40 years, and I love the way God's Word shows itself practical to today, time after time. In this third episode, we will examine the battle the children of Israel fought in Canaan against the city of Ai for the symbolism it holds for modern Christians faced with fighting evil. Then we'll see how other Old and New Testament verses support that symbolism. So come with me to about 1400 BC. The children of Israel have been released from bondage in Egypt and have spent about 40 years wandering the wilderness between Egypt and the land of Canaan. Moses, their leader, has died and been buried in Moab, and Moses' right-hand man, Joshua, is the new leader. They have miraculously crossed the Jordan River on dry ground, reminiscent of 40 years before when they crossed the Red Sea, and They have marched around the walled city of Jericho seven days. The walls came down and the city was conquered. Now they have traveled to nearby Ai, going a little further west. But one reminder, when they conquered Jericho, they were specifically told by Joshua from God that they were not to take any of the spoils for themselves And they were only to save out four metals, silver and gold and bronze and iron. And the symbolism of those four metals was discussed in episode two. And those were to go into the treasury of the Lord, but no one was to take anything for himself. So now we come to Joshua 7 regarding the battle of Ai. But the Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things. Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of them. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, to the east of Bethel, and told them, Go up and spy out the region. So the men went up and spied out Ai. When they returned to Joshua, they said, Not all the army will have to go up against Ai. Send two or three thousand men to take it, and don't weary the whole army, for only a few people live there. So about three thousand went up, but they were routed by the men of Ai, who killed about thirty-six of them. They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. At this The hearts of the people melted in fear and became like water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord. You remember the ark of the Lord had been built in the wilderness according to the instructions given by God to Moses on Mount Sinai. It was a wooden box covered in gold with a solid gold lid called the mercy seat that had two cherubim that were overlooking that place where blood was sprinkled once a year in the Holy of Holies in the portable tent tabernacle that was moved from place to place in the wilderness. So this ark represents God's presence. 
The elders of Israel did the same and sprinkled dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we'd been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. Pardon your servant, Lord. What can I say now that Israel has been routed by its enemies? The Canaanites and the other people of the country will hear about this, and they will surround us and wipe out our name from the earth. What then will you do for your great name? The Lord said to Joshua, Stand up. What are you doing down on your face? Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. They have put them with their own possessions. And isn't it interesting that God said it that way? Because we just began reading at verse 1 of chapter 7, and it clearly said that the person that did it was Achan. Why is God using the pronoun they? And why is he angry with the whole nation? We go on, verse 12. That is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they've been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. Go consecrate the people. Tell them, Consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. There are devoted things among you, Israel. You cannot stand against your enemies until you remove them. In the morning, present yourselves tribe by tribe. The tribe the Lord chooses shall come forward clan by clan. The clan the Lord chooses shall come forward family by family. And the family the Lord chooses shall come forward man by man. Whoever is caught with the devoted things shall be destroyed by fire along with all that belongs to him. He has violated the covenant of the Lord and has done an outrageous thing in Israel. Early the next morning, Joshua had Israel come forward by tribes and Judah was chosen. The clans of Judah came forward and the Zerahites were chosen. He had the clan of the Zerahites come forward by families and Zimri was chosen. Joshua had his family come forward man by man. And Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah was chosen. Then Joshua said to Achan, my son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel and honor him. Tell me what you've done. Don't hide it from me. Achan replied, It is true. I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I have done. When I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. They are hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent, and there it was, hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. They took the things from the tent, brought them to Joshua and all the Israelites, and spread them out before the Lord. Then Joshua, together with all Israel, took Achan, son of Zerah, the silver, the robe, the gold bar, 
his sons and daughters, his cattle, donkeys, and sheep, his tent, and all that he had to the valley of Achor. Joshua said, Why have you brought this trouble on us? The Lord will bring trouble on you today. Then all Israel stoned him, and after they had stoned the rest, they burned them. Over Achan, they heaped up a large pile of rocks, which remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his fierce anger. Therefore, that place has been called the Valley of Achor ever since. So then we go on to chapter 8. And I am not going to read the entire chapter, but let's begin it. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Don't be afraid, don't be discouraged. Take the whole army with you. Notice he says whole army, not two or three thousand men. And go up and attack Ai. For I have delivered into your hands the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. You shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king, except that you may carry off their plunder and their livestock for yourselves. Set an ambush behind the city. So he gives him a strategy. We go on, and at the end of chapter 8, after it tells you all of the details of the actual battle, it says, When Israel had finished killing all the men of Ai in the fields and in the wilderness where they had chased them, and when every one of them had been put to the sword, all the Israelites returned to Ai and killed those who were in it. Twelve thousand men and women fell that day, all the people of Ai. Wow, what a reversal. So instead of having 36 people come home in body bags and the humiliation and the bewilderment, they have complete and total victory over the entire city. And then Verse 26 says, For Joshua did not draw back the hand that held out his javelin until he had destroyed all who lived in Ai. So he held up his hand with his javelin in it, symbolic of the power and presence of the Lord, kind of like in the first episode when we talked about Moses keeping his hand held high while holding his shepherd's staff with his nephew Hur and his brother Aaron on either side to help him when he got tired. Verse 27, But Israel did carry off for themselves the livestock and plunder of this city as the Lord had instructed Joshua. So Joshua burned Ai and made it a permanent heap of ruins, a desolate place to this day. He impaled the body of the king of Ai on a pole and left it there until evening. At sunset, Joshua ordered them to take the body from the pole and throw it down at the entrance of the city gate, and they raised a large pile of rocks over it, which remains to this day. It goes on and says that Joshua then went up on Mount Ebal and built an altar where they offered sacrifices. And then verses 34 and 35 finish out the chapter. Afterward, Joshua read all the words of the law the blessings and the curses, just as it is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded that Joshua did not read to the whole assembly of Israel, including the women and children and the foreigners who lived among them. So the people 
listened to the word of God. So what could this, beyond being a historical account, actually mean for us today? As Christians, we are always confronting strongholds and evil. And perhaps there is something here that we can take from this battle that will be good advice for us today. There seem to be four important symbols, and the first is the covetousness, the sin that Achan committed. Remember, he said, when I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. Well, you remember that you shall not covet is the tenth of the Ten Commandments. That was first listed in Exodus 20, verse 17. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant or his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. So this is a sin that is committed in the mind. It's the only one of the Ten Commandments that didn't have a punishment associated with it because there's no way you can police someone else's thoughts. A person's covetous heart is between him and God if he doesn't act on the covetousness. And so that was the sin to which Achan specifically first confessed. And then we know that he said that he took those things and then they were found in his possession. But the third of the sins besides coveting and stealing was to directly defy the command that Joshua gave in chapter 6, verse 18, but keep away from the things devoted to destruction when they went to Jericho and did that battle there, the first one, lest you yourself be set apart for destruction. So that covetousness, that first look, that first desiring some possession so much that he didn't care what God had said and was willing to make that more important than worshiping God was what got him in trouble in the very first place. And so the church has to guard against sin if she expects to successfully defeat evil. It might not be covetousness for us. It might be any of a variety of other sins, but we cannot allow this loose living and lifestyle to gradually invade the church. We have to hold each other as members accountable. It doesn't mean that we go around constantly judging people, but those who are in positions of leadership and those who have specifically said that they want to be members hold each other accountable and watch so that we are maintaining the standards of the Word of God. Else, what is the body for? So, the symbolism of the covetousness of Achan tells us today, be so careful, church, about letting yourself fall into sin. The second of the four symbols is complicity. It's very interesting that it appears from this passage that Achan's family was also punished. It is not abundantly clear that his children were also stoned, but they were involved in the humiliation, in the shame, in witnessing the incident, and probably perhaps also stoned. 
Now, we do know from the law, the very law that Joshua read to the people after the battle of Ai was ultimately successful, Deuteronomy 24, 16, parents are not to be put to death for their children, nor children put to death for their parents. Each will die for their own sin. So we know that God does not contradict himself. He is consistent and faithful to his word. So he would not have instructed Joshua to do something that he had already specifically prohibited in writing. We can move forward a little bit in the Old Testament and read Ezekiel 18.20. The one who sins is the one who will die. The child will not share the guilt of the parent, nor will the parent share the guilt of the child. The righteousness of the righteous will be credited to them, and the wickedness of the wicked will be charged against them. And yet we go back and look at what God said to Joshua when Joshua was confused about why they had lost that first battle against Ai. And God said Israel has sinned. He didn't say there is one man in Israel who has committed a sin. He said he was angry with the nation. And so this appears to be complicity. He had to go in his tent and dig a hole and carry those possessions and put them down in that hole. And so it seems likely that his children were aware of what he did and that they turned a blind eye or that they approved of it. That reminds me of one of the letters to the seven churches from Jesus to John in Revelation chapter 2, verses 18 through 20. It says, To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. There you go, bronze. We talked about in episode 2 that bronze is a type of judgment in Scripture. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you're now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling so I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. Are you catching this whole thing here? He is warning the church of Thyatira, not just the woman Jezebel who was teaching things contrary to the word of God. And he says in verse 20, you tolerate that woman Jezebel. We're talking here about complicity. So the same apparent complicity that the family of Achan had when they must have known that he brought that stuff home and buried it in his tent can be seen in the New Testament church when a woman rises to a position of leadership and begins to teach people that certain sins are perfectly fine to do after all, and then other people in the church just let it go. Oh, well, she's a dynamic teacher, or oh, well, she's an interesting speaker, or she's done some other good things, so we'll let it go, and we really don't want a confrontation. 
complicity. It's a very important thing that we have to guard against. Sometimes we have to stand up and be counted and not go along with something we know is wrong. So the first was covetousness, the second was complicity, and the third of the four symbols in this story is complacency. Remember what the spies that went to Ai said when they came back and talked to Joshua. They said, not all the army will have to go up against Ai. Send two or three thousand men to take it. They thought, oh, well, this is going to be easy. No big deal. But the truth is that they were resting on their laurels and they had no idea that danger and failure were just ahead. That reminds me of what Jesus said to another of the seven churches that he wrote letters to in Revelation 3, 1 through 3. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. So you see how much like the story in Joshua this actually is. He says, I have not found your works complete. So they had a great reputation, but the reality was something very different. So we had covetousness, complicity, and complacency as three of the four symbols. And the final one is correction. The things that the children of Israel had to do to make everything right between them and God included things like having Achan confess his sin and then executing the justice that God required and then listening to his strategy for the future about the battle with Ai and that included humbling themselves and sending 30,000 men instead of saying, oh, we just need two or 3,000, this is no big deal. We also have the raised javelin in the hand of Joshua as he symbolized the power and presence of God working with the people, and he held it high until it was time for the battle to be completely finished. And then at the end, they made an altar and offered sacrifices, and then Joshua called the people together and reread the entire law to them so that they would remember what the standards actually were. There's an interesting story that Paul refers to in his first letter to the Corinthians. There was a man in the congregation of that church that had been having an affair with his stepmother. And Paul said that the people needed to correct the situation as a congregation. In verse 5, he said, Hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. And then later in 2 Corinthians, apparently their strategy had worked and the man had repented. And so Paul tells them to restore the man to fellowship. But the point is, as a church, it is important that when we discover 
that something is amiss, that we get it under the blood of Christ, and then we make actual specific measures that will correct the problem. So as we look at these symbols and we remember how very important it is to keep ourselves in right standing with God before we go and do battle against evil, perhaps we could sum it all up by saying that the story of Joshua chapters 7 and 8 is very simply bathe before battle. Let's remember that how we live and the condition of our hearts will make all the difference in having the victory over the forces of darkness and evil. If you've been helped by this, pass it along. Blessings to you.